My name is Bert Weisbord, and I'm here to talk with Liz Troutman, Youth Care's Communications and Public Policy Manager, about homeless youth. More specifically, we'll be discussing Youth Care's mission and the work they do with homeless youth in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Liz joined the Youth Care team in 2011 and became Communications and Public Policy Manager in 2014. She holds an MPA from the University of Washington's Evans School of Policy and Governance. She also serves on the board of the Washington Low Income Housing Alliance. Before writing novels, I produced feature films including Ghost Story starring Fred Astaire and Raggedy Man starring Sissy Spacek. My first novel, Inside Passage, was published in 2013. My second, In Velvet, in 2014. Teaser, the sequel to Inside Passage, was published in 2015. Minos, the third book in the Corey Logan trilogy, will be published on May of this year. In Teaser and Minos, Corey Logan, my heroine, finds runaways, and once find, found, they become the client. So I've spent time thinking about some of the questions I'll be asking Liz today. A portion of the proceeds from the Corey Logan books will be donated to services for homeless youth in Seattle. Hello, Liz, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Let's just jump right in. Let me just begin by asking you, what is Youth Care's mission and your work in Seattle? Absolutely. So Youth Care works to build confidence and self-sufficiency for homeless young people, and we do this through a continuum of services. So we start with um, actually prevention and preventing youth homelessness. We engage young people through street outreach programs and meeting basic needs like a need for meals, uh, clothing, shelter. Um, we also provide transitional housing and uh, housing supports to young people so they can really begin to build stability. And then finally, we help young people reconnect to education and to job training opportunities because we know that in order to truly move out of homelessness, they need to be able to support themselves. So we were founded in 1974 as a three-bed shelter, um, really thinking let's provide you know, a couple nights of, of shelter to, to young people who have run away. Uh, we'll get them back home and all will be well. And in the course of that work, really discovered that um, it took much more um, to, to support these young people, that often they were leaving home because of family conflict or even abuse and neglect, um, and that there were a whole host of complicated um, situations that, that they were dealing with. So over time, since 1974, we've really expanded that work into the full continuum that we offer today. I'm not sure I'm doing the math right, but is this Youth Care's 41st year? It is. It's actually our 42nd year. We oh, celebrated wow. our 40th anniversary <laughs> in uh, 2014. So I would like to ask you to elaborate a little bit more on, on its history. And I mean, you, you started that with the, you know, three beds and so on. But I think that this whole area has changed so much and I'd like to build up to the recent changes but can you take us through some of the evolution since then? Absolutely. So um, as I said we were founded in 1974 as a three-bed shelter really serving minors so young people under the age of 18 um, who were either run away from home or had been kicked out of home. Um, that program still exists today. Our shelter is now a 12-bed shelter for minors, um, and we continue to provide 
support and services to young people who um, had to leave home for one reason or another. Our goal is always family reunification when that's safe and appropriate. Um, and if that's not an option for a young person, then we work to figure out what is the most safe and stable housing situation for them. But from that shelter, we really grew to, to expand to a full continuum of services that started with, um, with our outreach program, actually, in 1979, uh, followed a few years later with the opening of our drop-in center. So we realized that we actually needed to go to young people. Before they were ready to come inside of their own volition, we needed to build the relationship outside um, in spaces where they felt comfortable to show them that uh, adults could be safe, adults could be trusted, that they could find help and get support um, to kind of take the next step in their life. Um, that's the, the origin of our street outreach program, which again still operates today, um, shifting a little bit, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and our drop-in center continues to provide uh, opportunities for young people to come inside, to be safe, to connect with staff and volunteers, to have a meal, to get a new pair of socks, to get a warm coat, and again, to have those conversations, but start to, to discuss the question of what's next for you. Um, as we continued to build those uh, front-end services, those engagement services, we realized that there needed to be um, additional services for young people, again, who couldn't go home safely. Uh, and we developed transitional living programs, which are programs, housing programs where young people can have a safe place to stay for up to two years. And that is critical. It's an opportunity to have a room with a door, a place to leave your stuff in the day, a place to come home at the end of the day, um, an opportunity to make meals, learn how to cook, learn how to do laundry, learn how to deal with roommates, kind of all of the skills that many of us had the opportunity to develop um, in our adolescence and young adult years. Um, and it's, these are just critical life skills that we all need to, to become kind of self-sufficient adults. Um, at the same time that we were developing these uh, more longer-term stay housing programs, we also realized that, again, it is developmentally appropriate for young people to be working on school and to be getting those first jobs and that first job experience. And that led to the uh, creation and expansion of our education and job training programs. Today we offer um, a GED program for young people who are seeking a secondary diploma. We partner with uh, Seattle Public Schools to ensure that young people can get their, high, their Seattle Public Schools high school diploma if that's the pathway that's better for them. And we work with an organization called Seattle Education Access to help youth um, connect with post-secondary education. Uh, at the same time, we're, we're offering job training through our barista training program, which is a partnership with Fair Start. Um, our Tile Project, which is really an engagement program for young people to, again, begin to, to have a taste of those skills that will be helpful for them in moving on in further employment. So uh, working with a manager, working with coworkers, project management, doing an art project from start to finish, uh, getting a paycheck and learning how to manage, manage that uh, money towards a goal of increasing housing. And then our Youth Build program, which is a really rigorous construction training program, part of a national model that we run locally here. And that is um, an opportunity for young people really to connect to 
the very high wage and high growth at this point in Seattle uh, construction industry. Um, so we're pretty proud of that program and, and the incredible work that young people do there. And you'll notice that I said partnership a lot, and that is a very intentional strategy that we have employed since the beginning, recognizing that no one agency, no one person can kind of do it alone, that it really takes a partnership with other nonprofit organizations, with businesses, and with the community, actually, to make sure that young people have what they need to be successful. Well, that's... It's really wonderful work that you do, and it's very impressive how it's evolved over the, this, these many years. How many homeless youth are there in our region now? That's a great question. Uh, the most recent one-night uh, count uh, included a concurrent effort called Count Us In, which uh, the results were just released yesterday, actually. So this is good timing for the question. And this, uh, again, point-in-time count uh, found 824 youth and young adults homeless on one night in King County. And that includes literally unsheltered, it includes folks staying in shelters, and it includes um, people who are couch surfing um, or staying in a transitional living program. So that's one night. In a year, about 5,000 young people are accessing services um, in King County. So that kind of gives you a sense of the scale uh, that we're working with. Youth serves 1,500 young people a year. And you'll notice that I'm talking mostly about young people who are accessing services. So there is a whole swath of youth, I believe, that are not necessarily being captured in these numbers because they are not yet coming in for services. And we don't have a, a very accurate and good way to count the young people who are not yet comfortable kind of raising their hand and, and coming into a drop-in center or encountering one of our outreach workers, for example. Uh, how do these numbers compare to what it's been, I don't know, three, five, ten years ago? Well, it's interesting because overall in our community, we are seeing just an incredible increase in unsheltered homelessness broadly um, from the one-night counts of all homeless populations um, last year to this year, we saw a 20% increase. The year before that, it was a 19% increase. So we're seeing just an incredible increase in the rate of unsheltered homelessness in, in King County in particular. Um, and this has really prompted the declaration of a state of emergency at the city level and the county level, which have really uh, shine, shown a light on the um, on the issue of unsheltered homelessness. Can you talk enough, a little bit more about the state of emergency and the impact it's had on young people? Absolutely. So I think the state of emergency, first of all, was just an an important recognition that this is a crisis. That homelessness is not kind of normal. Homelessness is not natural. Homelessness is not a thing that should exist in our society. And the scale and the scope of homelessness in Seattle and King County, particularly now, um, is, is a crisis. It's an epidemic. It's an emergency. And I think declaring that state of emergency has really helped galvanize action um, and really called out the, the extent to which this is a problem that needs addressing. Um, for young people and for, for all people, it has resulted in uh, one-time infusion of city resources into expanding shelter beds. 
into um, expanding outreach services, into really starting that first level engagement of people who are sleeping outside, starting to recognize when diversion money can be used to help a person move quickly out of homelessness, starting to look at what are the barriers to shelter. I don't think, you know, I think there may be a misconception for some people that folks are not coming inside because they don't want to or, you know, they, they would rather stay outside. When you delve into it, the, the reality is a lot more complex. You have the issue of uh, people being uh, with a partner or a family member that they don't want to leave, and it can be hard for two people to get into a shelter at the same time. What we see with young people um, is often one person is within our age range and another person is just outside of our age range for shelter, and so the older person can't come in, and that is a barrier for the younger person to access, access shelter services. Um, pets are another big barrier to, to, to shelter for people, and it's not... Um, you know, when you're outside and you don't have um, much support and much comfort, an animal can be an incredibly important uh, asset to you, really, in maintaining your, your health, your mental health, your physical health. Um, and studies show that people with, uh, with animals, homeless individuals who have animals, actually have slightly uh, improved and slightly higher health outcomes. So there's some really complex situations that might prevent somebody from coming inside. And I think the state of emergency and the increased outreach, the increased shelter opportunities have really helped um, the city and the, the county and other funders to understand that complexity. For young people specifically, we were able to expand the number of shelter beds at Youth Cares Orion Center, and we were able to launch a coordinated outreach effort that really engages young people who are living in, um, in kind of unauthorized encampments and living outside. So we're really able to do kind of a deep um, level of street-based outreach and engagement, which has had strong results in terms of helping young people move inside um, and, uh, and start to, again, address those barriers to shelter. Well, when I listen to all the things that you're doing and how much progress has been made, and yet, you know, how this crisis has actually gotten more dramatic, I think that there's probably a lot of education that needs to happen. And why don't we just go back and let's start with the, the very, you know, sort of fundamental question. It's something that you must think about a lot, which is why do young people become homeless in the first place? Yeah, that's, a, that's another great question. I think, so we serve young people ages 12 through 24, and that obviously covers a huge range of, of life experience uh, between those ages. But broadly speaking, um, young people become homeless for a variety of reasons, none of which are really their fault or their choice. So a young person doesn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I would rather uh, sleep outside than in my, you know, warm, comfortable house because I don't want to eat broccoli at dinner or whatever it is. Young people are outside not by choice. Um, the one big reason is indeed uh, family uh, conflict, family violence, um, and uh, uh, neglect. So young people who leave home um, because they are actually running from abuse, young people who are told they must leave home 
um, or young people who leave home and no one tries to stop them. That's a, a pretty common narrative that we hear from a number of the young people we serve. Um, we see a lot of young people who are kicked out or made to leave because of their uh, sexual or gender identity. So nationally, about 40% of homeless youth identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer, and that is a, a big factor for them, um, again, being asked to leave home or made to feel very uncomfortable or unsafe in their home. Um, poverty is also a huge factor during particularly the foreclosure crisis and the economic downturn, we saw families needing to uh, double up, to downsize, to uh, move actually into shelters themselves. And often when that happens, older adolescents and, again, 17, 18, 19 years old, there's no longer room in that family to support the young person. Or uh, a great example is a, a young woman that I know who um, has a younger sibling with special needs, and her mother in also has um, some mental health concerns, and she just felt at a certain point that she was a burden to her family and decided that it would be better for her family to leave. Um, so these are the kinds of stories that we hear, um, is young people acting in self-preservation, either, again, for themselves or for their family. Um, and then finally, we unfortunately see too many young people who exit our state systems of care into homelessness. About 25% uh, to one-third of youth who exit foster care at 18 will experience homelessness within a year. Similar rates wow. for young people exiting juvenile detention facilities. So there's a huge kind of gap, right, when somebody is exiting foster care, when somebody is exiting juvenile detention, which should have been a place where they have been uh, given opportunities to rehabilitate, to connect with family, to address mental health concerns, to work on educational goals. And instead, something's happening where they're exiting and they're not actually able to, to live stably wherever their, their home is. It, it's really... Um, let me go back to something you said earlier. Is Has it always been your goal to reunite these young people with their families, or is that something that's evolved? I think our work on family reunification and engagement has definitely evolved over the last um, 40 years, 42 years. And it has been a particular focus of the last three to five years um, as we've strengthened our prevention work and realized that if we can actually intervene in families before a young person um, runs or is kicked out, we actually can do some real strengthening work in families to help a young person stay at home. Um, and sometimes that's addressing family conflict, and sometimes it's addressing some of the resource challenges that, that families experience, not being able to pay a utility bill, not being able to buy groceries or school supplies, some of those really basic things that we can help support families to do, um, and that actually helps build the family unit stability. Um, the other way that our work in that has shifted is really to think about family reunification, but also family engagement. So for a young person who can't necessarily yet live safely at home, or who might be 22, 23, and uh, wants to be more independent, how can we still strengthen that family relationship so that they have caring adults in their life, caring and supportive adults in their life to turn to with 
uh, with questions, with needs, with celebrations. You know, who is the person that they can call and say, hey, I got a job today? Who's the person they can call to say, hey, I'm doing laundry and I accidentally dyed all of my socks pink. How do I, uh, how do, I do laundry better, right? These are the kinds of things that I certainly called my mom about when I was uh, a young adult first kind of on my own. And we want to be able to ensure that young people have those family connections um, with supportive adults in their life. And that could be a parent, that could be uh, an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, it could be a cousin, it could be a family friend that has always been, you know, again, a safe and supportive adult in their life. So we've really both increased our focus on this work and broadened our understanding of, of what it really means. Let me ask this. Uh, what can people in the community do to address the crisis of homelessness? And, you know, how can people get involved in ways that are helpful and meaningful, especially since so many people aren't really aware of the extent of this problem? Absolutely. So I think that um, one of the biggest things is truly to be to become more aware of the of the extent of the issues and to change mindsets, change uh, your perception of a person that you might encounter who is living outside, um, and and realize that there's probably something happening in their life that is profoundly challenging. So just if we can all be a little bit more compassionate about um, about the people that we that we interact with, you know, they are our neighbors and they are part of our community. So I think that's the one very uh, fundamental thing that I would ask people to do. The second thing is to recognize that you might not know who's homeless in your community. So you see people who are staying outside might be very visible. There may be a whole other swath of um, individuals, and again, particularly young people, who wouldn't present as what we think of as homeless. Um, so to, to broaden our understanding of what homelessness means, and that's really um, couch surfing and bouncing from place to place every night is incredibly destabilizing and is also uh, a form of homelessness, and we need to recognize that. And then thirdly, I would say to get involved with, with organizations in your community that are doing work to prevent and end homelessness. And that involvement could take the form of a financial contribution. Organizations like Youth Care and the many other organizations that do this work rely on contributions from the community to do our work. Um, it could take the form of donating supplies. So we rely on community donations of food, of warm clothing, of household supplies. When a young person gets into that first apartment, they need dishes, they need a microwave, they need towels and sheets and things like that. So community donations allow us to provide them with those things so that they can really have kind of a solid start in their new place. Um, and the last thing is to volunteer. Many organizations are seeking volunteers to serve meals, to help with uh, sorting donations, help with paperwork, help with some of maybe the less glamorous tasks, but things that are absolutely critical to the organization's functioning. So I would invite people to, to consider volunteering um, for an organization whose mission you support. Well, I, for one, would certainly encourage people, all of our listeners, to support youth care because I've seen just how extraordinary the work that you do is. And uh, 
I guess I also, before we sign off, want to raise just a bigger question, which is, are there systems issues or bigger barriers that, you know, that may be political, that may be cultural, that are preventing young people from moving forward? It's a great, good, big question to end on. Right. Um, absolutely. I think there, there are systems issues. I think we are doing better as a community, particularly, again, in King County, at addressing some of those systems issues, and we've really focused on that. And we're starting to at the state level as well. Um, last year, uh, the state legislature created an Office of Youth Homelessness Prevention and Protection. Um, and that was a huge step forward because up until uh, last year when this office was created, there was no single entity at the state level charged with tracking issues of youth homelessness and exploring how these systems might have gaps uh, that lead to youth homelessness or prevent young people from moving out of homelessness. So I've already talked about the uh, juvenile detention and uh, foster care systems that are not perhaps adequately preparing young people at always to exit into kind of stability. Um, so those are definitely systems that I think we need to address. I think we are also seeing that as our economy has rebounded, it's rebounded in many ways for people with um, high skill levels in technology. And so we need to address the gap between what young people are able to learn in high school and in college uh, with the skills that are needed to enter these high-wage sectors. So helping young people to graduate from school, helping them to connect to these new opportunities, I think are, are really critical. Um, we see a very high unemployment rate, actually, for young people ages 16 to 24 compared to the overall unemployment rate in Washington State, which has fallen dramatically. Young people still are in double digits of, of unemployment. So got some work to do there. Um, and I, and I think more broadly than just our juvenile justice system, our overall criminal justice system has some uh, incredible barriers to young people and, and all people who are exiting um, incarceration to becoming uh, re, re-engaged and re-entered into society. Um, and then finally, I will just add, you know, we can't talk about the issue of homelessness in in the, at least the Puget Sound region without talking about housing affordability. So we are in a crisis of housing affordability in our community, and that is affecting young people as well as um, all members of our community, um, particularly a young person who's never held a lease before, um, who doesn't have a parent who can co-sign for them. That's going to be, they're not going to be a very attractive rental candidate in a very competitive rental market like we have. So we're, we're dealing with issues of just sheer availability of housing within the um, both affordability, but also helping youth to get into that housing, even if they are able to afford it. So those are some of the structural things that I think we are all working hard to address to ensure that young people have what they need to move forward. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we sign off with? I would just uh, say thank you so much for uh, having me here to, to answer some of these questions, and thank you for your ongoing interest in, in youth care's work, in the issues uh, that young people face when they're homeless, and uh, for your support of services uh, for, for homeless young people. We're really grateful to have that attention and that support.
Well, thank you, and thank you for your time. And I want to ask everybody to go to www.youthcare.org to learn more about youth care. And I'm sure that uh, on the site there will be many ways to follow up. And to learn more about the Corey Logan Trilogy and my books, you can go to www.bertweisboard.com.